Well, good morning. Good morning. Hope you all are having a day. Just in case you're not. We left off in Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, according to my precise notes here, start here. Okay, must be it. Let's read verses uh, 13 through 17 first. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, verses 13 through, this will get us kind of caught up here a little bit. Sir, word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time we have, Lord, to study your word, Father. Pray, God, you bless the teaching, Lord. Pray, God, you'd, uh, you'd uh, help us to learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 13, and we discussed this last week, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. We talked about that last week. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. And as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to, uh, to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that all, in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored uh, for the wind? And 17... In all his days also he eateth in darkness, and hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. So we discussed about the, about the wealthy guy who had all this money, and you know he had to waste it on relatives, you know whatever, whatever it was that came, or he he wasted his money, and he accumulated great wealth, but he couldn't take it with him, could he? No. No. So today we're going to look at uh, uh, continuing on with chapter number five. Now, in verses five, uh, verse, verses 18 through 20, we talk about a remedy recalled. Remember back when the preacher mentioned God. Things are better. Uh, this bitter story we discussed last week, uh, this is a, a, a place where he, he reminds us that there's something different, there's something better. We're talking about life under the sun, but there's something better, life under blessing, life under God. Okay? So look, look at verses 18 through 20. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. So we're looking at another side of this. The, this part of Ecclesiastes, the, the Proverbs part, we kind of flip back and forth from the man under the sun to the man under blessing. So we just flip from the man under the sun to the man under the blessing now, okay? So what happened? What? So that's, that's where we're at. So uh, in, these, in these verses here, uh, oops, I missed one. Behold that which I have seen. Remember, uh, we talked, we've been talking, we're 
the preacher's actually seen these things. Remember that? He went out and he has seen these things, and he's telling us what he's seen. I was there. I witnessed this. I participated in this. I, this happened to me, whatever it is. But he says, I have seen that this is happening. This has happened. Okay? Behold, here in verse number 18, uh, introduces a whole different point of view. Behold, this is different now. I just talked to you about this sad story about this rich man. Behold, that which I have seen. I have seen something different. It is good and comely for one to eat and drink. Uh, turn back to chapter 2, verse 24. You saw this some weeks ago. It says, There is nothing better for a man than he should eat and drink, or that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, and it was from the hand of God. So we've been talking about all this man under the sun, how bad it is, and how uh, uh, he doesn't have any hope, and he's in, everything's in vain, it's uh, futile, everything he's been doing is just bad. But then he mentions God in verse, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 24. Man can enjoy. Man can enjoy his labor. Okay? There's another life besides under the sun, equally outward and real and observable, because he says, I've seen it. It is enjoyable in labor. Not in the absence of labor, but enjoyable in labor. It's a God-given provision in our life. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's called our portion, isn't it? God gives us a portion. If you can imagine this huge pie, about as big as the universe, this huge pie. And we all get a portion of that. That's our portion. Okay? or timeline, whatever it is, but we talk about our portion that God gives us to live. Amen. We're living now because this is when God wanted us to live. This is our portion. Folks before us had their portion. They lived their life. This is ours, okay? So God gives us uh, enjoyment in our portion, and labor's not a drudgery. Labor's not terrible. Man enjoys his work Amen. under God. Before, it was something that he had to do. Now he enjoys doing it. Still has to do it. He wants to live, but it isn't terrible. It's great. He enjoys it. It's God-given. To eat and drink expresses companionship, joy, and satisfaction. Here it is, it is a symbol of a contented life. Eat, drink, and enjoy. That's contented. What could you be doing besides that? Not eating, not drinking, not enjoying anything. So God gives us this portion. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20. 1 Kings chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Kings 4, 20. The preacher brings this up. He kind of reminds us of this, but under King Solomon, things were going pretty good. Look at verse 20. Judah and Israel were many as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, doing what? Eating and drinking and making merry. No wars. No one's attacking them. They enjoyed life. And it was Israel and Judah. They weren't divided yet. 
They were still one nation. This is before Solomon passed away and his son and, you know, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and the Bone brothers got in there and started messing everything up, you know. So uh, this was before that. Things were good. Verse 19, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Wealth in a secular context, which we saw back in the first part of this chapter, may lead to misery. Anybody ever saw a miserable wealthy guy? What they need to do is give away their money to people that recognize that they're miserable. And I think they're all miserable. More ways than one. Anyways, um, yeah, all this wealth in a secular context under the sun may lead to misery. Because God is absence. When God's not part of their lives, they're miserable. We talked last week or so about what what are they worried about? Keeping their wealth? protecting it they're worrying about losing it they're worried about all these things they're in misery they don't get a chance to enjoy it because they're so worried about it who's going to take it who's going to deceive me who's going to cheat me who's going to what what's this bad investment i mean should i do bitcoin or not i don't know what what should i do they say this but they say that so i guess i'll do both i don't know what i'm gonna do you know they get so wound up about it but not all wealth is condemned we think of rich folks, we think the Bible condemns them, but he doesn't. That's right. There's a possibility of wealth combined with power enough to enjoy it. And that's under God. Amen. The secular man may think wealth and power go hand in hand, but the preacher says no. They're distinct. They're different. The secret of this life is God's will. Everything depends on whether God gives the wealth and the power of enjoyment. You see, a Christian wealthy man, what does he want to do? Give. Serve. Use his money for the, you know, bring the gospel out. Take it places. You know, meet needs for for churches and whatever else. You ever heard of uh, Luterno? He has a a book. He used to make heavy heavy equipment. We used to have some in the Army back when I was a young pup. Luterno Westinghouse, but he he gave God 90% and he lived on 10. And he was a wealthy, wealthy man. He just reverse, why should God live on 10 and I have to live on 90? I'm gonna take I'm gonna see what that's like. And you know, he he did that. And he gave, and God blessed that. On man's side, it depends on the, accept, the acceptance of God's will concerning wealth. I have all this money that I got somewhere. We won't, wherever we got it. Uh, we have to battle within ourselves. What am I going to do with this? Well, you should be asking, what does God want me to do with this? But when you get that much money, you start getting a little bit selfish, I think. People start saying, I don't want to spend this on anything. They just want to accumulate more and, and have it built up and have it there. You know, God wants them to use it. So the awareness of, of uh, God-given nature of the wealth, wealth is a gift of God. You no, know, I'm a self-made man. You didn't make yourself. 
God did. So man must be control in control of his attitude towards wealth rather than his attitude towards wealth controlling him. We've got to see, preacher saying, you need to, what does God want me to do? How is God Amen. going to use me in this? Rather than, oh, I've got all this money I've got to worry about keeping and I don't want to spend it or do anything with it. Verse number 20, back in chapter 5. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. The thought here is that his life will be quiet and great, and nothing memorable is going to take place because he's saturated with the joy of living for Christ. That's all he's going to remember. I live for God. I live for Christ. And God's blessed me, and God's helped me to use my wealth that he's given me to, I can see it working. I'm not a financial expert. <laughs> you can ask my checkbook that. I mean, like the moth flies out, dead one, you know, shake them out. Um, you know, it, it, I forgot what I was going to say now, so I'm so bad. Um, our, our, when we have money we or have enough or more than enough we rejoice we're happy but you know uh, we are not preoccupied with it when we have enough That's right. we have joy we don't have to worry about where am I going to get the next meal where am I going to get the next uh, money for the rent and whatever else you know so uh, the life under God the wealthy man under God he's he's full of joy he doesn't Amen. worry about everything he wants to use it because God wants him to use it. <clears throat> so the preacher repeats the remedy of a God-given life of faith and joy, which is more preoccupying than wealth. Now, chapter 6, we flip-flop again. We talk about wealth and its insecurity. There's a series of examples we're going to look here in the the first six verses of chapter six, wealth does not guarantee its own enjoyment. So there's lots of guys that are wealthy, but when you've bought everything you need, and you're too worried about money to enjoy it, what, what's left? Yeah. Give it to your local Baptist church. That's yeah, what they should do, and, and that's what we are, a local Baptist church. With local Baptist in it even, you can even, even bless them too, right? And we'll talk about a man can live his prime with a great family, but still die unsatisfied Amen. and unwarned at his death. Let's look at verse number one. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. An evil. We went from the guy who lives under uh, God in faith. Now we're back to there's a great evil that I have seen under the sun that is common among men. So the preacher observes, uh, uh, mentions something else that he has observed. I have seen. He's seen this. He's witnessed this. He's experienced this. He's been around. He knows what's going on. I've witnessed this. There's another situation afflicting man under the sun. Verse 2, a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wondereth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity 
and it is an evil disease. Amen. So man, under the blessings of God, he's passed away for right now. Not dead. He just, we're not talking about him anymore. He's, we're flip-flopping back to the man under the sun, okay? It's kind of hard to keep track. I'll do something. We're under sun, under... Okay. So the man that has the blessings of God, he, he's living his life. Instead, we see a man to whom God has given wealth. However, there's no indication that he recognizes where that wealth came from. He thinks he earned it. He thinks he worked for it. He thinks he's a self-made man or something, you know. He doesn't recognize the source of his wealth. Is there such thing as a self-made man? You may think there is, but God is involved in that. And I think it's pride to say I'm a self-made man. Because God can unmake that real fast, can he? Sure he can. So the previous man had the power to enjoy, the man under the, the blessings. He had power to enjoy what he had. It was great. He was happy. He could eat thereof. That means he had, it doesn't mean he had food. It means he could enjoy it. That's what that word eat thereof means. He could enjoy his wealth. He could use it for what he was supposed to use it for. This man doesn't enjoy it. He is unable to be contented. Why? Because he worries about it and he wants more. He's looking for happiness in money. Money can't buy happiness. Oh, but it's a good down payment. No. <laughs> All these folks, I watched some show years ago or some heard about these people that win the lottery. Goodness. <laughs> you know, they spend all this money, buy a big house, and then what? You know, they're miserable. What took away his power to enjoy, this man now? What took away this power to enjoy? Was it calamity? Was it boredom? What was it? He had all that man might ask for, but no appetite, no opportunity to enjoy it. God giveth him not power to eat thereof. God was absent in his life. He didn't have God. He had money, but he didn't have God. God was absent. And we'll see back here in verse number 2, it talks about the word honor. That's the first time we've seen that. And that talks about a man has fame to go along with his wealth. Maybe a movie star. Maybe a politician. Maybe whatever. He's got honor now. He's got some fame. Yet he's still miserable. Yet God giveth him not power to eat, says here in verse 2. To eat here means to enjoy. He doesn't have the power to enjoy. His riches do not enable him to achieve anything, this man. But a stranger eateth it. He can't even uh, use his own wealth because it just gets dissolved. The stranger is not a person. It's just the, the system or just his, his life that it just gets wasted away. He doesn't get a chance to enjoy it. Something else consumes it. I mentioned that last week. He has all this wealth here, but then... When you have wealth, you've got to hire all these people to help protect it or the new mansion you buy. You've got to have all that stuff taken care of. It just whittles away. Yeah. So he doesn't get a chance to even enjoy it. Verse 3, if a man beget a hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good and also that he have no burial, I say, 
that an untimely birth is better than he. So what if the man in verse number one was cut off in his prime? So the preacher kind of presents here for uh, this example. Another man lives a long time, has a very large family. There's still no guarantee of happiness. We had a hundred children. Why? Why would you like that? I have to have a nursery as big as this building here. A hundred children. Can you imagine the car you got to have? You imagine this by a semi or something. I don't know what you would use. A hundred children. Boy. Poor wife. Yeah, poor wife. Nicer on income tax. You can't claim a hundred deductions. Yeah. Sorry. The new IRS rules. But it's, it, it, it's just an example here. He has all this wealth, all these children, but there's no guarantee of happiness. And his soul, it says here in verse 3, uh, be not filled with good. He still has an empty soul. God's not in his life. He has the capacity, his soul, his inner man, we talk about the soul, it's, that's, that's our capacity for feeling, that's our desires, that's our heart, that's our enjoyment, that's our satisfaction. What makes us, us, our inner man, he still has that, but he can't find any enjoyment, can't find any satisfaction. And then it says here in verse 3, despite a long life, wealth, and family, he may die unsatisfied and, it says, unmourned. Nobody really cares when he dies. Oh, He's a nice guy, rich. His money's still there. And a hundred kids can fight over that. Mm-hmm. That's something to be fun. But mm-hmm. no one cares that he's gone because he didn't do anything for God. He's not missed. To die unburied or unmourned is the mark of a despised person. We've seen them in the Old Testament. They didn't even put a marker on their grave or anything. No one really cared about them. I've got a big caution sign on my notes here. Caution. Yellow letters, red outline. Uh, This phrase here in the last part of verse number three, an untimely birth is better uh, than he. I want to be sensitive. This is talking about a miscarriage. Okay? An untimely birth. So I want to be sensitive here and kind of give you that's what we're talking about the next few verses, all right? So just so you know where we're going here, I'm going to try to be is tactful as it can, to which the child, the person, never enjoyed the comforts or had to face the calamities of life. An unborn, this unborn child is better off than the wealthy, miserable, rich man. And he tells us why. It's better that the man was never born than to have plunged himself into the toils and vexations of this life. Verse 4 For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. So we're talking about the untimely birth. The the lost child is compared to this dissatisfied rich man. The word name here in verse number four, and his name shall be... the, The name was a big thing back in the Hebrew days. In the ancient days, name your name usually meant something. Uh, they may call you something, and it was really kind of undeserved because it doesn't represent what you are, you know. Uh, but people valued their names. Their name meant something. 
But the lost child has no chance to develop this character or reputation. The wise uh, rich man did. Verse 5, Moreover, he hath not seen the son or known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Talking about the lost child again. Uh, he hasn't seen the son, hasn't known anything, yet has more rest than the rich man. The unsatisfied rich man, the lost rich man. Child had no experience in life. But the discontented rich man is worse off. The child has more rest than he. Verse 6 Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, how many years is that? Two thousand. Twice told. Can you imagine that? I lost my place. Here we go. Yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? He mentions this. He could live 2,000 years and haven't seen any good. You know, we all go to the same place. And we're talking about the grave here, not heaven or hell, okay? We're, just, we're, we're not talking <coughs> that finite. We're talking about everybody goes to the same. Because remember, we talked about it before about animals and man. We all go to the same place, the ground. Mm -hmm. Okay, remember that? Okay, so he lives a thousand years twice told, yet he hath no good. And then he says, do not all go to the same place? So the question of long life is brought up again here. What's the use of a long life if it's filled with prolonged misery? You can talk about Methuselah. How long did, how long did he live? Just under a thousand years. It's like him living his life twice. If he's miserable the first time, he lives it again. Why would you want to do that? Same miserable life again. So that's kind of what he's, it's, it's, it's kind of an ironic exaggeration, but that's, that's what he's talking about. If you live a long life twice over, but it's the same miserable life, what good, is, what good does that do? Do not all go to one place. So he brushes off this long life aside, and he talks about the destination of everybody's the same, ultimately. The one place we discovered last time we talked about this was called Shoal, or the grave. See, we're not talking about the soul. We're talking about the body, okay? Let's look at verses 7 through 9. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The labor of a man is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not filled. The mouth refers to feeding, but it also is talking about meeting our needs. We work to live. Try doing it without that. It's not as easy. We work so we can make a living. We can have things. Okay? It's, it's for pleasure, but it's also to earn a living. Okay? But his inner life, the longing for fulfillment and satisfaction, that's left the gas gauge on empty. He can't get fulfilled. We've discussed this numerous times through this. He can't get that, what he thinks he thinks he wants, he can't get it. He can't get fulfilled, can't get satisfied, even though he works, he can't get to where he thinks he wants to be. And it just vexes him. Uh, the satisfaction is left empty. Verse 8, For what hath the wise more than the fool? 
What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? This is one of those verses where there's no real consensus about what it means. It means all kinds of things. Uh, but I think the preacher's kind of pondering here. Does a wise man have an advantage over the poor man in the world? Not really in the scheme of things. They both suffer unsatisfied desires. Both the wise man and the poor man are shown to fail in enjoying life. And what is true for the poor man and the rich man is true for everybody in between. You've got two extremes, everybody in between. So it's true for everybody. There's no advantage of necessarily being rich or poor because everybody, it says here in the verse before, everybody ends in the same place eventually. Verse number nine, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. How many of you have your eyes set on something and when you get there, you're content? That's a rhetorical question, I guess, because no one's going to raise their hand. I do, I do. No, what do we do when we get to where we think we ought to be? We want to look, go somewhere else, don't we? But our eyes are never satisfied. Why? Because they see things. Keeping up with the Joneses, remember that a couple weeks ago? No. i got to keep up with somebody else because they got they a boat. I've never had a boat, but I think I need to have a boat in my front yard. <laughs> so everybody can see it. That's what Noah said. Um, <laughs> you know, i I got to have this stuff. i got to have an RV. i got to have all this stuff. Not because I have a desire for it, because I've got to have it, because everybody else does. I gotta, it's status. Some folks live that way. I just got to have it. If I don't, folks are going to ask me why I don't have it. How come you don't have a boat? Because I don't like the water. How about that? Uh, or I don't like camping. How about that? What? You know? But um, the sight of the eyes are never satisfied. You get to where you think you got to be or where you want to be, and all of a sudden, why? Look at that diesel pickup truck. Now we're talking. <laughs> you know, look at that. You know, now we're now we're talking real stuff here. You know, uh, real meaningful stuff. <laughs> so, if a wise man and a poor man who seek to improve their lot in life have a wandering desire, their desire is a moving target. It's hard to get there, isn't it? They work, I thought I wanted this, but boy, you know what, now that I got it, I really wanted this or this. So that's what he's saying. The eyes are the only part of man's being with which enjoyment of life, which, which you can enjoy life and find contentment. But you've got to be content with what you have, he has said before. If we keep wandering, say, boy, I've got to have this now, you never get satisfied. Although there may be plain to see, the inward wandering of the desire prevents man from ever being entirely content. Do a couple more verses. Let's look at verses uh, 10 through 12 in chapter 6. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he, seeing there may be Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for a man in this life? All the days of his vain life, which he spinneth as a shadow, 
For who can tell a man what shall be after him, after the son? Uh, under the sun. So, that which has been has been named already. We talked about this in the first part of, of the book. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, except a new variant. <laughs> yeah. And there's plenty of those stacked up, I'm sure. Anyways, like your shirt, brother. <laughs> yeah. But there's nothing new. We've been through everything. There's nothing new under the sun. And it says here in verse number 10, that which hath been named already. To give a name to something is to appoint its character. If you name something, you know about what it is, okay? Think about something you, that has a name, anything. It has a character. You know, the water fountain back there I can look at. That's got character. It's kind of lowly and <laughs> humble. People use it. Refreshing. Refreshing, yeah, that's what it is. To give something a name is to appoint a character. Both the world and man have settled characters. Remember we talked about the wind and the rain and the rivers? It just cycles back and forth. It never stops. just keeps going and going and going. Man's the same way. Man hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Do we have pride now? Do we disobey God now? Nothing's changed. Okay? Same thing. Man hasn't changed. And what he's highlighting here is man cannot change the basic character of life. Life is life. We can't argue with God. Remember when we talked about Job a couple of years ago, whatever it was? What did Job try to do? He tried to argue with God, tried to question God. Uh, God had to deal with him a little bit. We can't argue with God. Character of life can't be changed. Man cannot escape his limitations. If you don't believe me, go try and pick up your car. You can't do it. Maybe Larry could, but I couldn't pick up my car. No, we have limitations, don't we? We can't fly. Don't watch these old films where man is tried, step on some wings, go about two flaps, and, you know, it's kind of fun to watch. <clears throat> Entertainment. We can't escape our limitations. So neither can he contend with him that's mightier than he. We can't contend with God. He's the one that's mightier than us. Seeing, verse 11, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? Man's words can't change the world. They may add to its futility. But we can't change the world. We can't make anything different. We pay folks, several hundred of them, we pay them to try and change things and make things better, don't we? Yeah. Things getting better? Everybody's doing this. No, they don't make things better. They talk about it, but they don't make it better. Life's life. Verse 12, the last verse of this chapter, and we'll, we'll, be, get, we'll be done here. For who knoweth what is good for a man in this life? 
all the days of his vain life, which he spinneth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Back in chapter, look at chapter 3, verse 21. Back in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 21. Same, same question, same kind of question was asked before. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth? Who knows us? What do we know about us? us? The preacher understands, and he asks, who understands the nature of man? I don't even understand my own nature sometimes. But anything that happens bad is just my nature. That's what I tell everybody, the police, just, just my nature. You were speeding, that's my nature. I'm a, I'm a, that's my nature. Yeah, let me tell you what my nature is, son. I like to lock folks up, yeah. Uh, our, who understands the nature of man, especially as it goes beyond the grave? Now he asks, who's able to point out what will really, truly satisfy man as a basis of life? What is needed is something which will be adequate for every day. All the days, it says here in verse number 12, all the days of his vain life, which is lifelong. What's going to satisfy us lifelong? Not just in passing, lifelong. Which can cope with the inherent futility of the earthly realm. He says this vain life in verse number 12. And the brevity of man's compared to a shadow. Do shadows stick around with you? Sometimes they're real tall. Sometimes they're right beside you. Sometimes they're not. They're behind you. Sometimes they're not in there at all. They're temporary. Who knows what? It says here. Who knoweth? What is good? Who can tell a man? So two types of questions are asked. It's kind of a double problem. A normal man has no wisdom in himself because he says, who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Nor can he find others to help him. He says, who can tell? Who can help me? What's left is no absolute values to live for. Who can tell a man? This guy is searching for something and he can't find Who can help me? He has no practical certainties to plan for. What will be? That's the question. What's going to happen? What will be? We all ask that. But man without Christ, he, he says, what's going to happen? What's, what will be? So it's kind of like the Mosaic Law here. The, the preacher is trying to close all these doors that man has in his self-sufficiency, and point us to Christ. <clears throat> Galatians uh, 3.22 says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. There is something we can have. There is some help we can get. But it's not within ourselves, is it? It's not under the sun. It's through Christ. It's through God. That's where our help is at. We'll stop here. And pick up next week right here. Father, thank you, Lord, for this lesson, Lord. Pray, God, you bless the services that follow. Pray, God, you bring visitors, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.